This is Corinne. And this is Ayani. And welcome to another La Petite SLL, a sex love literature minisode. In this episode, we parse the intertangled relationships of the 2011 romantic comedy Crazy Stupid Love. In addition to looking at the film itself, we think about how revisiting old rom-coms can reveal how attitudes towards sex, romance, and even consent have shifted since their initial release. If you're liking what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review too. Good ratings can really, really help with discoverability. For a baby podcast like ours, that really helps us out and can make a huge difference in helping us find our audience. So thanks in advance, and let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Sex Love Literature. Haha. <laughs> this is another La Petite episode in which we are going to take a bite-sized look at a piece of media that we have watched recently. This time, we are going to be talking about the film Crazy Stupid Love, which was recommended to us by our buddy Joshua. Hi, Joshua. Hi, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and we have some thoughts and feelings and things that we're going to be unpacking for you over the course of the next however many minutes we're talking. Corinne kind of called me out for being obsessed with the fact that our La Petites should be between 20 and 30 minutes. <laughs> and she's like, but what if they're 15 minutes? What if they're 31 minutes? So now I'm not quite sure what to say. <laughs> well, I mean, it's because like, yeah, so Ayani's whole thing is just like, our intros are too long. People don't want to listen to us. So we need to, we just need to get right to it. And it's like, okay, but like, and then my response, which is very silly, was like, it's not an article. It's a vibe. <laughs> So La Petite SLLs are mini vibes, I guess. Yeah, mini <laughs> mini vibes. I'm I'm here for that, honestly. We'll put that on the, the logo from now on. SLL. Mini vibes. Mini vibes. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into the truly vibe part of said mini vibe, we're going to do a quick version of our What's Sparking Joy segment, which has a name now. It's called What's Sparking Joy. <laughs> Beforehand, we would just be like, well, what are you listening to? What are you watching? What makes you happy? But from now on, we're going to call it the What's Sparking Joy segment in which we'll take a quick second to think about the media, be it a movie, a book, a TV show, a video game, whatever, that's making us feel really good in the moment. And that could be really good feelings like elated feelings or deep cathartic sadness, which sometimes... <laughs> It's necessary. It's, yeah, it's necessary. Sometimes it's nice to feel that way. But because this is a la petite, we're going to do something a little bit different. We were originally going to do what was your most recent favorite added to Spotify, <laughs> but Corinne apparently is a weirdo who doesn't have favorites on Spotify. I, I, do, I do not use the favorite function. So my favorites has three songs on it and they were all mistakes. <laughs> In direct contrast to my list of like <laughs> 1,137 songs, we're, we're friends, but we are different in some ways. <laughs> so instead, we are going to tell y'all the last song that we listened to on Spotify. So Corinne, what was the last thing you listened to? On your Spotify. Uh, I listened to Can You See My Heart by Hayes, which is from the soundtrack from the Korean drama Hotel Del Luna. It is very sad. It makes me feel many feelings. And they play it during, like, the sad ending of the drama. So, like, it's very much that whole vibe. <laughs> I am so not surprised that it's from a K-drama soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I only started watching K-dramas in July of last year. But it was late enough that 
K-pop still showed up as like one of my top genres on Spotify at the end of the year <laughs> summary. <laughs> All right. Well, so what was your most recent song that you listened to on Spotify, Aani? So my most recent was Nightcrawler by Duke Dumont featuring Say Lulu, which is a lot of fun. I just realized I was listening to it in the shower. So like I don't see the little icons and things swimming by, but um, it has a fun little like car sequence that we see in the little Spotify reoccurring video. It's really cool. I like it a lot. It was one I think that came up in my Discover Weekly that I was like, mm, I have to save this now and keep it. So that's our little what's sparking joy for our Lara Petite today. Music sparks a lot of joy for me. So this was mm -hmm. fun. I appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> Moving to our main content though, as we said, we're going to be thinking about the film Crazy Stupid Love. So Crazy Stupid Love came out in 2011, which is 10 years ago now, which makes me feel a little ancient. Coming up <laughs> on the 10-year anniversary. It was a summer blockbuster since it came out on July 19th. Ah, would it? Would you call it a blockbuster? Was it really big when it I came mean, out? We've been in kind of like a rom-com slump, I would say, in mm. the United States for like mm -hmm. the past I, – I couldn't tell you exactly how many years, but like it was one of the few, I think, when it came out. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, is that why you've been watching only exclusively K-dramas so you can get your rom-com fix? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> call myself like a rom-com person exclusively. Like I, I like other genres too, but I do think mm. K-dramas are filling a rom-com void that we have in American television right now. Hmm. For me well, anyway. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but this is the fun of doing this podcast with you is I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's what Corinne thinks about this. <laughs> but Crazy Stupid Love was directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa. I hope I'm pronouncing those correctly. I looked on Google and didn't see a pronunciation guide in my quick look. So... And it was written by Dan Fogelman. So the quick summary that we pulled from Rotten Tomatoes that Corinne said was kind of quaint <laughs> <laughs> was Cal Weaver is living the American dream. He has a good job, a beautiful home, great children, and a beautiful wife named Emily. Cal's seemingly perfect life unravels, however, when he learns that Emily has been unfaithful and wants a divorce. Over 40 and suddenly single, Cal is adrift in the fickle world of dating. Enter Jacob Palmer, a self-styled player who takes Cal under his wing and teaches him how to be a hit with the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I thought was so funny about this summary is that like teaches him how to be a hit with the ladies when really it's teaches him how to get women to have like a lot of sex with him. Oh, that's that's the part that you found funny? <laughs> yeah. It's so, like, cute. like, <laughs> And that's, like, not what's happening. It's not no, cute. It's, not. it's funny. For me, it was the enter Jacob Palmer, a self-styled <laughs> player. I don't know why, but that part I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead, marketing. I see you. <laughs> Since we grabbed this from Rotten Tomatoes, Corinne was kind enough to actually grab the current Rotten Tomatoes scores, which, of course, going by one of these, like, Score aggregators is not the best way to see how a movie, I don't know, exists in the popular consciousness, but sometimes it can be an interesting thing to think about. So as of what, this morning, as of May 2nd, 
It has a <laughs> 79% on Rotten Tomatoes from, I think, the reviewer's score and a 78 mm-hmm. from its audience score. So I'm assuming the reviewer score stopped updating in 2011, right? That you're not getting new reviewers that are going to be reviewing Crazy Stupid Love after all that time. But I'm assuming that the audience score is something that might continue to change if people keep rating it over time, even as time Uh, goes on. I imagine it could, but my guess would be that it's pretty stable. Although, Mm, did you hear about the controversy about how Paddington 2 passed Citizen Kane as the best rated movie (laughs) of all time? Because someone found like an old review of Citizen Kane from like 1941 that was like, this movie is so stupid. I hate it. And it like put it put Citizen Kane below Paddington 2 on Rotten Tomatoes. So Paddington 2 is officially the best movie of all time. Oh my god. Eh, I wish so, you I know, was a- the, these things can update at any time. I wish I was in a film class because I'd be like, why are we studying this right now? We should be watching Paddington 2, which Obviously. clearly is the best <laughs> film of all time. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm not even that big of a fan of Citizen Kane, but I'm almost like, wow. <laughs> Sorry, bud. Sorry, Rosebud. Pat you on the back there. Hmm. <clears throat> But but we we digress. So <laughs> as as we are wont to do. So circling back to Crazy Stupid Love, I, I would actually say that seventy nine percent is pretty solid for a rom com on Rotten Tomatoes because like I don't know critics tend not to like them very much because they are you know for women they're like a women kind of genre so and critical things don't necessarily take things that women and often particularly teenage women like very seriously. That's interesting and. I'll put a pin in this question because we always think a little bit about audience, but Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to just have a chat about who this film was for because saying – because I know Mm -hmm. typically rom-coms are – they're quote-unquote demographically thought as targeting women of a certain age, Mm -hmm. but I would be curious to think about if that's what this film is doing, especially since we watched it with Andrew and he and I were both watching it for the first time, but – We'll come back to well, that. Well, and actually, I think that's a good moment to sort of transition into the characters and the actors who are playing them because mm, this film mm-hmm. had a very star-studded cast. But our male lead, our main character, Cal Weaver, uh, is who is the 40-something divorcee, is played by Steve Carell, who at, I think at that time was at like sort of the peak of his office fame. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is before 40 Year of Virgin, right? I couldn't tell you. Okay. I'll do it, Google. <laughs> Okay, so while you Google that, I will go through the cast. So we have Cal Weaver, who is who is played by Steve Carell, uh, and then his wife, who cheated on him with David Lindhagen and wants the divorce, <laughs> is played by Julianne Moore. Uh, the self-styled player <laughs> is played by Ryan Gosling, uh, and then his love interest, Hannah, is played by Emma Stone, and then the sort of other two characters that are necessary to think about are uh, Jessica, who is the babysitter for the Weavers. She's played by Annalie Tipton. And then the Weavers have two children, but the daughter is just not very important to the story. And she's I think, more of a set piece. Yeah. Yeah. She, I think she's like very a set piece in a way that watching it now, I was kind of like, I hate that. But, uh, <laughs> but the son, I think he's 14. Uh, his name is Robbie and he's played by Jonah Bobo. 
and he has a big crush on Jessica the babysitter, and Jessica the babysitter has a big crush on Cal Weaver, and it is very intertangled, and that is kind of the point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all of these plot lines and storylines of these characters are kind of deeply braided together. So we're not going to be able to untangle everything over the course of our little discussion today. But it is important to think about that this story is kind of in vain, in a, in a similar vein to like that Valentine's Day film that came out, mm -hmm. like that have all these disparate storylines, but then show how they kind of come together as the story goes on. And 40-year-old mm -hmm. virgin is 2005. So it was six mm. years before this film. And I know that was pretty huge when it came out, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So Steve Carell was kind of on a an upward trajectory at mm -hmm. this time. Yeah. So I think – so just as a heads up, this is an old movie, but in case you haven't seen it, nothing we've said so far would be a spoiler because it happens in the first like 10 minutes. But from here on out, we're spoiling it. It's happening. Do we have to give spoilers for 10-year-old movies? <laughs> I mean, people still give spoilers for like Pride and Prejudice, and that's like 200. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. If we ever talk about Jane Eyre, you're not getting a spoiler alert. It's just not happening. Well, I don't really like Jane Eyre, so I don't think we should talk about her. <laughs> oh, but the – okay, fine. Fine. We'll talk about that <laughs> off the podcast. So kind of jumping into our main questions here. Corinne, mm -hmm. our relationships to this film are different. And mm -hmm. I think that kind of shaped our understanding of – the film, how we came away from it. Mm -hmm. So as I said, um, myself and my spouse, we watched this film for the first time. So that means I'm watching it with 2021 eyes and sensibilities, mm -hmm. even though, I mean, clearly I was alive and cognizant in 2011, right? <laughs> I, can't, I can't watch this film as who I was 10 years ago. So I think that's something really interesting to think about is our different experiences because how many times had you seen this film oh i've probably seen this film maybe four or five times i know i mm, saw it mm -hmm. in theaters and i've probably watched it it's not really ever a movie that i'd be like m maybe like once every three years i'd be like you know what i want to watch that movie mm, but like mm -hmm. i'm more likely to be like there i want to watch that scene from that movie and like pull something mm -hmm. out of it because there are some like very iconic moments in this film that like i still reference because i think they're very funny and even if i'm the only one getting the reference i think it's funny <laughs> but that then means that like watching it with aani and andrew uh a couple weeks ago i i like this movie i don't love this movie because there are some storylines that don't just make me uncomfortable now they made me uncomfortable at the time when i saw mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. so like i think when we watched it i had said that i wanted i was in the mood to watch a comfort film and mm -hmm. what i kind of we because and we knew we wanted to do an episode on this on this movie and aani asked if i wanted to watch it and i was like oh i that's like comfort adjacent so like mm -hmm. yeah i think that'll work but again it's comfort adjacent it's not strictly a comfort film for yeah. me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i was actually going to bring that up because i thought that was very interesting your reaction to kind of being like okay yeah we can watch it but it's not what i would call a comfort film even though you've come back to it over the course mm -hmm. of time so the thought of it being comfort adjacent was something that was really interesting to me but also the fact that we had very similar kind of reactions to some sequences even mm -hmm. though you had seen it multiple times and i was just coming to it with like fresh eyes well and i will also like there are some so particularly seeing how like the different storylines 
weave together, I think, mm, is very mm-hmm, satisfying. Mm-hmm. And watching it with people who hadn't seen it before, it was very fun for me. Because, like, so for those of you who haven't seen it, or to remind you, if you have, there's, like, the scene where everything sort of collides and, like, collapses. People, uh-huh. people get in a fist fight and, like, people, everyone just starts showing up. Like, and it's super, super funny to see how everything is interwoven and to have a couple of really big reveals like specifically so like emma stone's character is cal and emily's daughter that they had when they were 17 so she's a lot older than Mm -hmm, jacob played mm -hmm. by ryan gosling would expect her to be so he's like why and he's been dating her Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he is a player (laughs) Uh, (laughs) he's kind of a hoe and uh steve carell's character knows this so then when he sees that this man who like has helped him in a very significant way get get out of sort of his depressive slump Mm -hmm. is dating his precious his precious child he like first born he like loses his dang mind however i will say i really appreciate in that sequence that Jacob was still very here for Cal when mm-hmm. um, the man that Emily cheated with showed up at the event. And he was like, you're who? Lindhagen? And just like punched him right in the face. I was like, that's friendship. <laughs> it's, that is like such a delightful moment. And also that like his name is – so David Lindhagen, who's played by Kevin Bacon <laughs> – is the man that like Emmeline cheated on Cal with and Steve Carell has just like been in this bar for weeks or maybe months I don't know telling yeah, everyone that David Lindhagen cuckolded him <laughs> it's not a word that we use very often cuckold but that was what happened like, it's such a to good paraphrase, word. <laughs> to paraphrase the film Anyway, there's like a big reveal. It's very funny. And it was very funny to see Aeoni and Andrew get it and that they had not guessed that Emma Stone was playing Steve Carell and Julianne Moore's daughter. Yeah, they got me with that one. They got me with that one. So since you're kind of coming to the film, not with fresh eyes, what are some Mm -hmm. things that you think like didn't age well on this watch, did age well for you? So like, for example, a couple months ago, I rewatched He's Just Not That Into You, which is from Mm. 2009. And I remember watching that film the first time and being like, this is so much fun. But when I watched it again, I was like cringing throughout the movie about Mm -hmm. things that were happening. So I'd be curious to kind of hear your reactions coming back to this film. So maybe I'm going to start with the things that have aged well for me. Sure, sure, sure. Start with the whole generous reading, which is what I like to use as my critical approach. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I really still like the development of the relationship between Jacob and Hannah. So between Ryan Gosling mm, and mm-hmm. Emma Stone, because I, I really like Emma Stone's character. I really like how she plays her. I like that. Like what the first time Ryan Gosling hits on her, she's like, <laughs> no, thank you. Goodbye. And she leaves <laughs> and it's, it's funny. But then like when she goes back to be like, I'm going to have sex with the hot guy who hit on me at the bar. It's sort of on her terms. And she's Mm, like, that's mm -hmm, what she's mm -hmm. there to do. She's going to do it. And she's very straightforward about that. And there's a sort of ownership of that that Mm, she takes. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then there are just like these really, I don't know how else to describe them, but like iconic moments. Like when Ryan Gosling, like she tells him to take off his shirt and he does. And she's like, fuck, it's like you're (laughs) photoshopped, which is like just such a good line. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's so interesting that like in this encounter, because like his whole thing, which we've seen him break down for Cal to teach him is like staying in control of the situation, keeping the woman on her toes, making her do all the work, making 
her seem like feel like she has to be interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like Emma Stone has completely taken the reins. She tells him to take off his shirt. She tells him she doesn't like the drink he made, but also she like shotguns two of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he like asks her to she's like, Well, like, you take off your dress and she's like, Absolutely not. And then he asks if he can put his shirt on and she says, No. <laughs> and it's just like so funny and like the I don't know. The dialogue is so quick and like clever and they don't end up actually having sex that night. Yeah. They get distracted by his late night shopping channel habits. <laughs> so honestly, that was the part of the film that was most endearing to me mm-hmm. was the fact that they have this kind of montage of bonding mm-hmm. that I thought was really sweet. So one of his things, right, was not to open up to people, to not really tell them about himself. Mm-hmm. And he spends a large portion of their night together talking about really sensitive parts of himself, like mm-hmm. the fact that he buys a whole bunch of shit on the Home Shopping Network. But part of that is because he's actually really lonely and talking about his parents and the fact that his dad died and just all of these kind of really emotive, emotional things. So that really worked for me because he set up as being this ladies man this play a player the whole time but we also as an audience get the character flip of kind of reminding us that he's a whole person and mm-hmm. that there's depth to him and that it this kind of sets up the fact that this relationship with Hannah is going to be different perhaps than the other Mm -hmm. things that he was looking for because it's the first night and he's like here are all my sensitive innards you're welcome Mm -hmm. i mean okay so having established that this works for me and i like that whole sequence and it works for you what do Mm -hmm. i think then because i i still think that like the bad boy is actually a softy trope is one that is very hit and miss for me So this still hits, but I don't know if I had seen it now, if it would, in the same way it did when I saw it. Here's the thing. I don't view Gosling as a bad boy in this film. Mm. He just out here getting his, you know, and Mm -hmm. all of the people he goes home with are down for it. And he's just kind of, this is just how he does. He just has a voracious sexual life, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't seem like he's a bad person. He might be a little bit of a asshole but i think that's also just like how they were characterizing the ladies man type of character Mm -hmm. because he's not an asshole to the women he's an asshole to cal Mm -hmm. a little bit but in that he's trying to like help him get out of this rut he's like very glib i think yeah but it's not like he's out here sticking people up and calling the women terrible names and then like kicking them out without buying them a cab like he's not a dick He's just hmm. he's just out here being a hoe, and I, you got a hoe sometimes. As long as everybody's being safe, okay. I mean, I hmm. so like I agree with you, but at the same time, there's still something that like about that character type that like sits uncomfortably with me. Because like even if in this specific instance, Ryan Gosling is Ryan Gosling, and like he's Ryan Gosling, so that's just the deal. Uh, (laughs) But, like, that character type of man who sleeps with many women and sort of, like, builds up his tally, like, speaks to the tradition of, like, counting how many women you sleep with, which, like, doesn't necessarily always 
count women as people. Like I'm thinking mm. of like the stereotype of, you know, like frat guys with like the bulletin board in the basement where they like have yeah. tallies and like that's not what he's doing, but mm-hmm. it is connected to what he's doing. So I think this actually and now I'm kind of upset we're doing this as a la petite, but I think this really <laughs> leads to interesting questions about how we think about sex, sexuality, and voracious sexuality in mm-hmm. media. Because for me, have sex with whoever the fuck you want. I don't care as long as everybody is treating everybody fairly, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between having a high body count and being like, bro, look at all these women that I've banged over the course of 10 years. I got to my tally of 100. I did it, right? There's a different mentality. Mm-hmm. And it feels like Ryan Gosling's character. Well, I keep calling Ryan Gosling. Jacob. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Ryan Gosling is not Jacob. <laughs> it's, it's one of those casts where like, I remember the actor's name more than I remember their character's name just because, like, they were cast because of who they are. Fair. In addition to, like, their acting ability, but also, like, they're bringing their persona to the part. Fair. Fair, fair, fair. But for Jacob, it doesn't seem like he's ever – he's he's got, like, his quote-unquote gimmick, right? But it mm-hmm. never feels like he is malicious or deceptive mm-hmm. in bringing women home. And that, for me, is a major – key because if he was kind of shown to be out here just bringing them home to fuck them and dump them and then was shown being a jerk about it to people afterwards you know what i mean he's Mm -hmm. also shown to be an isolated man he's not hanging around with other dudes he's not with other he's not with other Mm -hmm. dudes at the bar and the relationship he develops with cal and they're talking to women having conversations i don't know it just it, it it's a different vibe for me but i think it's worth kind of thinking about maybe larger in over the course of kind of a sex love lit conversation, but how we view people who have mm-hmm. multiple partners in media and how that then trains us to think about these kinds of characters in different ways and these kind of people, right, mm-hmm. in different ways. Well, and like I think maybe part of why I'm so sensitive about this right now might be because we mm-hmm. watched this like right after we watched Promising Young Woman. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. whole setup of man picks, picks up woman at bar was just like completely Mm. torn up for me by that Mm -hmm, film mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. like even though the women that ryan gosling picks up are not like dead drunk drunk, yeah and he always asks like want to get out of here and they say yes they agree Mm -hmm. the way that i don't know there's like just he has been probably buying them drinks so like how drunk are they really they're not depicted to us Mm -hmm. as drunk but then like Mm -hmm. they are still at a bar so like I don't know. I I just yeah. there is this question mark here of like what we establish as the norms for picking someone mm. up at a bar, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what role like a film like this plays in that. Yeah. No. I. That's a fantastic point. I think there. This is an interesting kind of touchstone for larger conversations about. I guess what sexual culture is that a term? Did I make that up? Is it a neologism? <laughs> I mean, let's let's go with that. I think All hookup right. hookup culture, hookup culture, but also just like how we view the sex lives of other people and mm-hmm. how we are getting information about other people's sex lives. Like a lot of that does come through our media. I think this is actually a good point to turn quickly though to something that I know was off putting to you through all of your watches and was Mm -hmm. very off-putting to me and to Andrew in this first watch, but is Robbie's insistent infatuation with Jessica and the way Mm -hmm. that he acts on that throughout the film. That was definitely something that did not sit well with me. 
in, in kind of direct contrast almost to Jacob and Hannah's relationship mm-hmm. because it seemed to constantly override what the babysitter Jessica wanted and what she was asking for and kind of the relate consensual relationship aspects of it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So for a little bit of context, Robbie has this huge crush on Jessica and he's mm-hmm. constantly doing like these big gestures to proclaim his love for her, even though she has frequently asked him to stop. So mm-hmm. he says that he loves her after she catches him jerking off and she's like, oh my God, please stop. This is so awkward. He and well, because he tells her that he thinks of her when he oh, does it. And oh, I hate it. Oh, I hated that so much. <laughs> uh, so much. And when she comes over to watch them again at Cal's house, when he's when Cal is going to hang out with Jacob, he says, I love you there again. And she's like, no. And he later in the film sets up a whole like stage to proclaim his love to her in front of at the school. At her school, at her high school. It's so horrible. Yeah. And I think Jessica's supposed to be like 17? Yeah. 18? Um, no, Seven, 17. Definitely 17. 17. 17. So there are all these things where he keeps trying to push, push, push his feelings on her. And she's like, no, I don't like you like this. No, please stop please stop. This is uncomfortable for me. You're making me uncomfortable. And he does not stop. Mm -hmm. But also the advice he's getting from his father, from his male parental figure is, well, if it's your soulmate, yeah, Yeah. fight for your true love, fight for your soulmate. And we have thoughts about the soulmate Mm -hmm. trope and idea in general that we may come back to one day. But there's just something so very wrong to me about the fact that this girl was like, bro, no, I don't like you. Please stop. You're making me uncomfortable. And the message that uh, Robbie is getting is just keep going for it if it's true love. Like that, fuck that. Well, and like that is something that like it seems like it should be harmless that he has this sort of like school schoolboy crush on Jessica and she's older than him. He's like in eighth – he's graduating from middle school. He's still like a kid. But like that – it's not it's not harmless because like talking about it in this way reminds me that like there was a guy who was four years younger than me who asked me out when I was an undergrad and I said no and he just kept asking and kept like pushing it and I was like okay you need you need to stop this and the only way that I got him to stop mm-hmm. was to tell him that I liked someone else and then he immediately went around and told everyone about how much of a bitch I was mm. <laughs> so like this model th- and this happened. Around the time this movie came out. Oh, shit. Okay. So, like, I, I'm not saying that this guy, who I will not name and shame, he, I'm sure he, I, I hope he's grown since then. I don't know. We're not in touch. Uh, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> but like that model in films like this is, like, well, you fight for your soulmate. Like, to me, I'm not – I am not this man's soulmate. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. And if someone is not consenting to your relationship, then that is not your soulmate. But – yeah, that's yeah. that's my feelings on that. So that's something that hasn't aged particularly well. And particularly thinking about it in the context of like the Me Too movement and the way that mm-hmm. we're thinking about consent is I think interesting and is a reason why this movie is not quite comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Isn't quite the comfy, comfy blanket of a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pulling back, kind of doing a more bird's eye view. 
Mm -hmm. right, based on these conversations. If we think about kind of revisiting older rom-coms generally, like what are some things we're noticing in how attitudes towards sex, romance, consent may or may not have changed over the course of time, in this case, over the last decade? As our as our resident consent scholar, <laughs> is there anything that jumped out at you when you were rewatching this with us, especially with all the research that you're doing or on mm-hmm. the heels of Promising Young Woman? Is there anything that like really stood out to you? I mean, I kind of covered a little bit about how like Ryan Gosling's whole, character's whole setup doesn't sit quite right Mm, with me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i think robbie and jessica's whole deal is another example of that where like that is no longer something i i don't think that like something to that degree would be considered cute anymore in the Mm, same way that mm -hmm. it was in 2011 and i also the thing that i deeply hate a lot is so jessica at one point has talked to a girl at school to ask her like what she does to get older guys and she basically says take nudes so jessica takes some nudes to give to cal which are printed out like pictures which is was a little extra hilarious to me because i was like oh printed photos and well like i do think one thing that this movie was trying to do and i do want to give it credit for this is it did want to push the bounds of what was comfortable because i I don't Mm -hmm. know that it entirely wanted it to that to be a comfortable thing it wanted that to be uncomfortable but something that it wanted to be cute that was not is that jessica then at the end of the film gives these photos to robbie the 14 year old to be like maybe when you're older in the meantime here are these naked pictures of me which i hate so much hate everything about that (laughs) and i I feel like all three of us were just kind of shouting that it's technically child pornography even Which is why it's important that she's 17 instead of 18. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we were all just kind of like, ah! Also, fun fact, Annalie Tipton was the same age as Emma Stone when they filmed this. Also, they're still the same age. But like... (laughs) (laughs) But they were both like 23 when they filmed this, I think. Mm -hmm, Or maybe mm -hmm. 25. I don't know. Early 20s. Yeah. But Annalie Tipton was playing a 17-year-old and Emma Stone was playing a person who had just graduated from law school they never really tell us her age mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one of the things i actually if we're thinking about how conversations have changed maybe how divorce was discussed and handled mm. is something interesting to kind of roll through our brains because i think that was one of the more nuanced things about the film that I really, really liked Mm -hmm. is that there's not a pretty bow tied on it at the end. We don't know if they're still getting divorced by the end, but they Mm -hmm. also, it's not clear that they're going to get back together either. Mm -hmm. So I think these kinds of nuanced discussions about (laughs) quote unquote conscious uncoupling, right? (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, thinking about divorce and thinking about how divorce can be a healthy and good thing for people, but also a painful and difficult thing to go mm-hmm. through is something that I think carried well, but also has been picked up and continue to be discussed mm-hmm. in maybe not romantic comedies, but in films about romance. Yeah. Well, like there was that Netflix show with oh, with Adam Driver and someone yeah. – and <laughs> and Black Widow, Scarlet, Scarlet nope. Johansson. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really angry at us because I saw her face and I was like, Black Widow. Black Widow. 
But yeah, they they just and it was up for Oscars too the year it came mm-hmm. out that film. So yeah, I I think these kind of conversations about the nuances of divorce is something that's continued to carry through and be relevant in well, stories and about relationships and romance. Particularly that it's become I think less taboo mm-hmm. to talk about mm-hmm. as it's become more commonplace. I think is maybe interesting and that like. I don't know. It, it maybe is interesting that in this depiction of Cal and Emily's divorce, I don't know that either of them is framed as the bad guy. And feel free to disagree with me about this. But like, even though Emily cheated and slept with someone else, I don't know that I was ever being asked by the movie to be like, that Emily, she's a hoe. So like, I don't know. It, it seemed like, I mean, I'm not generally a fan of the like, both sides have valid points argument. But like in this case, there were problems both with what Cal and what Emily were doing in the relationship. And I think the film yeah. tries to acknowledge that. Yeah, I don't think there's a villain here. It's funny. You can't, because you keep using hoe. I keep being like, what are, is this film making commentary <laughs> on like the different kind of hoeing that you can do? Maybe. I wonder. I'm going to think about the depths of holiciousness over the course of the film. But I think you're right. I don't think there's a villain in this film, except for maybe Lindhagen. Maybe he's the villain. <laughs> but as far as Emily and yeah. Cal are concerned, it's, it's complicated. And I think the film mm-hmm. really sits with the fact that marriage is complicated, divorce is complicated, loving somebody is complicated. Mm-hmm. And that's something that really resonated with me and I think comes through in more recent films as well. Mm-hmm. I yeah. agree. Cool. I'm sure we could ha- say a billion other things <laughs> about this film, but as we promised, this would be a lot petite. I think this is a good place to kind of wrap up yeah. our conversation. But we'd love to hear from y'all. What do you think about Crazy Stupid Love? Is this a film that you loved when it came out? Is this a film that rubbed you the wrong way even the first time you saw it? Is is this one of your comfort films? Are there other rom-coms that you like but feel weird about still liking? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's juicy. <laughs> that's what I want to hear about. Tell us what rom-coms you feel guilty about still liking. We'll probably put up a... Uh, Oh, I don't think we've done pillow talk posts for our La Petites, but I we, can put one we up. We can. <laughs> yeah. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about this. So on that note, please find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, which is where you would find our pillow talk posts. Uh-huh. Uh, you can find us at Sex Love Lit, all one word. Uh, and Type it all in. We'd love to hear from you. And next time on Sex Love Lit, we are going to have a interesting kind of episode. So as you know, Corinne and I are both scholars, and sometimes that means we actually do scholarly things. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine that. So we have a fun – it was a conference presentation, but it was a conference presentation podcast that we did with the wonderful Dr. Leah Phillips, Mm -hmm. and that is going to be our May episode. So – A little bit like Promising Young Woman, it leans a little bit more into the academic side of things. But one of the things about conferences is, at least for me, I try to make them very approachable for people who might not know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I'm more of a moderator this episode, but of course you can hear me say a lot of really odd things. That's (laughs) what I bring to the table, apparently. Specifically what it's on is sex in the work of the young adult fantasy author, Tamora Pierce, who Leah and I are both experts on. 
So oh, experts, <laughs> yes, claim it. I mean, claim it, it. it is our area of scholarly expertise. So, boop, boop, I'm here for it. So that'll be our next episode. That'll be coming up a little later in the month. We hope you will listen to it. Give it some love. We'll, of course, have a lot of information about how you can find Leah, Dr. Phillips, in that podcast as well. But on that note, this has been a la petite. We hope you had fun and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.